You are Locked On Celtics, your daily Boston Celtics podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm so high right now. Anything's possible. Oh, my mama. Oh, my mama. Made it, ma. Anything's possible. Rainy J's back with the vengeance. Back. All the real Celtics fans in attendance. Woo. This is the truth like 34. Yeah. It's like walking in the garden when you hear the roars. Crowd goes crazy. Most in-depth coverage on the daily, mainly podcast royalty. The content kings. When you talking about the franchise with 17 rings, focus like Danny at the deadline. Global with it, got a local feel like the red line, the blue line, the green line. Play it in between time. I'ma throw my C's jersey on in the meantime and press play. When the F's done, I can't wait until the next day. Trying to stay in tune with the C's is the best way. Melly. Welcome back. This is the Lockdown Celtics Podcast. I want to thank you for making us part of your daily routine. We're here for you Monday through Friday. Uh, this will be the Tuesday show leading into the final preseason game. Uh, Celtics preseason is over. They're 3-0. I would assume they go 4-0 against the very shitty, terrible, horrible Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, but who knows who they'll play. I'm John Corrales. I cover this team for MassLive.com. I'm your host of the podcast, joined today by fellow MassLive beat writer, Tom Westerholm. Tom, how's it going? I'm good. I'm going to be – I bet they – what if they lose? Like, I think that's, like, super plausible. I mean, like, it certainly can. Remember when they just blew the Grizzlies, like, just completely out of the water in one uh, summer league game, and then they just, like, you know, lost – literally the next game to the Grizzlies again. Sure. I bet they lose tomorrow. You know what? I I wouldn't be surprised, actually, considering... Considering who's going to play, they're probably yeah. not going to play many guys. <laughs> they're going to probably, yeah. you know, just start like Tremont Waters or something like that, or Brad Wanamaker. Uh, Which, so, to be clear, let's not pretend that starting Tremont Waters is not a winning move at this point. I mean, he is probably the best guard in the East at this point. Uh, <laughs> he, he's so freaking good. <laughs> he's fun. He is fun. We'll talk a little bit about Tremont and Kemba. Uh, we'll talk Kemba in general, uh, some other preseason takes looking ahead. We'll kind of might as well just kind of get our preseason takes off. We'll do that. And then we'll finish things off with the final roster spot. Uh, then later on in the podcast, we'll have a special NHL season preview for Lockdown Bruins. We are super excited to have Lockdown's newest podcast covering the NHL. If you're a hockey fan, check out Lockdown Bruins, but that's later. Now let's get to the Boston Celtics and today. A couple of interesting things from, from Kemba. We did talk to Kemba t- about uh, Tremont Waters. Uh, and first, though, uh, Kemba in his scrum was talking about – he was just asked, like, general questions about, yeah, hey, what's your take, how you feeling, blah, blah, blah. And he, he kind of threw in this, like, yeah, I kind of hope my usage rate goes down, which I thought was interesting. Uh, here's the clip from the scrum of him talking about – uh, answering that question and talking about his usage rate. How different has this been for you because you've been the focal point for your entire career? Now it seems like a lot of different guys are getting uh, used to the offense. It's good. It's good. Um, like I said, it just takes, it takes a lot of pressure off me. Um, I'm getting a lot of different shots as well. Um, but I'm loving it, you know, not having to do so much all the time. Um, you know, hopefully my usage rate, you know, might be going down a little bit. Um, it allows other guys to, you know, make plays, and um, I can I can appreciate that for sure. You 
I mean, yes. <laughs> yeah, it will, though. Like I said, we just have so much talent around us. Um, and just not having to do so much. You know, I've, I've done a lot. You know, over the course of my career, so yeah. And he he actually did strike me there, Tom. By like, what player who just signed a thirty million dollar contract uh, per year contract says, "Yeah, I hope my usage rate goes down." But he sincerely, I feel like, is is saying, "I had to cover for so many people in Charlotte that I, I'm just happy to have somebody else like do some of the heavy lift heavy lifting." I feel like Kemba might be not and not in a bad way by any means. I feel like he might be feeling his age a little bit because like he, he mentioned like literally today, I think twice he, he commented on how old he was um, and just like how, you know, and we're going to get into what he said about Tremont. Um, but, you know, one of the things that he said was, um, you know, I'm just like. Like I used to be the youngest player on, on every team that I was on. And now I'm, you know, sure. the third, third oldest, oldest player yeah. on the Celtics. Yeah. Like, I, I, I kind of wonder if he's just, like, starting to, like, you know, not slow down on the court, but just sort of start to be like, man, like, this this is kind of tiring. And, like, you know, especially after eight or nine or whatever years in Charlotte of having to do literally everything, like, if he's not just kind of like, okay, yeah, let's, let's let Tatum run this pick and roll. Let's <laughs> let, you know, let's let Hayward attack this mismatch. Like, I'll be over here. You guys can hit me if you need me, but I'm, like, pretty happy just kind of cooling over here in the corner for the time being. And, you know, w- when I'm needed, I'll, I'll, I'll step up. Like, I, you know, that actually makes all the sense in the world sure. to me. Like, the dude's, the dude's 30, you know, 29 years old. He's like, good, he yeah. is, like, <laughs> he turns, he's tired. <laughs> he turns 30 in season. Uh, yeah. He's a six foot guard, and well, he probably turns thirty at the season, uh, assuming the Celtics last May eight. Right. So yeah, he he he's almost thirty, but he's yeah. he's a six foot guard who's had extraordinarily high usage rates all throughout his career, and because he's been on Charlotte, Charlotte is not a good front office, and they have surrounded him with players that have not been. Very good. Some some guys have been okay, but in general, not very good players. So, yeah, last year his usage rate was somewhere like 31%, which was ninth in the league. Uh, higher than Kevin Durant. Higher than Kyrie Irving. You know, higher than really high usage guys. So, um, I can see why he's like, yeah, I wouldn't mind my usage rate going down. Because his usage rate can drop by 5%, and it's still pretty high. A yeah. 26% usage rate is still pretty high. You're, you're finishing off a quarter of your team's possessions. That's, that's a lot. Uh, so that's, um, I, I can see that. I can see why he would say that. Uh, and I, I mentioned this in the piece on Mass Live, by the way, go read our stuff on MassLive.com slash Celtics, that there, there has to be some level of, I don't need to kill myself. By driving and throwing myself into trees all the time, I can drive and kick now and feel comfortable driving and kicking because now I'm kicking to Tatum, Brown, Hayward. Like those are all guys who are pretty good. One's a former All Star, uh, so I, I think there's maybe a sense of relief that he can kind of dial it back a little and he doesn't lose anything. Want to hear some? I uh, want some fun stats here. Fun stats. So, Let's do it. From Cleaning the Glass, which is a great website Fantastic that everybody should site. check out. Um, 
Kemba has four times in his uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight year, uh, eight year career. Um, he has been in the 90th percentile in usage. Um, two times he's been in the 80th, in the 80s percentiles. So that means that six out of his eight years, he like he has had more usage than at least eight out of ten NBA players. Last year, his his oldest season, you know, the, the every your latest season is always your oldest season. Um, <laughs> he was 33.3, the highest usage of his career, 98th percentile in usage in the league. Um, you know, his highest by a pretty significant margin. So yeah, I. You know, he the Hornets asked him to do everything. And, you know, last year he delivered because it was one of his most efficient seasons, um, even with all of that usage. Um, and interestingly, his uh, assist, uh, you know, percentage like compared to his usage, um, one of the lowest of his careers, uh, 0.86, which is 16th percentile um, only in. 2015 16 was it higher so yeah i he was asked to do everything and, and again with the assists that just basically means like he didn't have anybody to pass to right so uh yeah uh the guy has been asked to do everything all the time and be everything for an, an entire franchise and now he doesn't have to and that just must feel like a weight <laughs> off his shoulders feels good but look he's been doing it he, he he's been doing it extraordinarily well uh the the usage as high as it's been i mean it, it takes that super high usage i guess to still have the standing that he has in the league as a member of the charlotte hornets who yeah. have been to the playoffs twice and uh what they won four games they they went to one they made one series they won i'm sorry they won three games in in the two trips so, and all of them came in one series. So, uh, Kemba has worked very, very hard to become this level of player. And this level of player is somebody that a guy like Tremont Waters can look up to, which he did. And Waters from Connecticut, uh, obviously Yukon, that's monster basketball in Connecticut. Uh, you did a story on Kemba and Tremont and that relationship. Why don't you talk a little bit about what you did today in that story? Yeah. So it, when I, I talked to Tremont for a little bit and, um, you know, one of the things that he mentioned when he was, when he was talking was that he's been really, um, trying to study Kemba. Um, and, and, you know, that's not much of a surprise. We, we knew that Tremont who, who grew up in, uh, in Connecticut was a, was a big Yukon, um, guy. He, you know, he talked about how when he was 11, he took a picture with Kemba, uh, back when Kemba played for Connecticut. So, not a huge surprise that he's, you know, sort of trying to model, um, you know, his game after Kemba, especially considering that, like Kemba, he's a little undersized, um, and you know that th- those guys kind of have to have to figure out how to play a very specific style of basketball, and he's, you know, learning to do that um, from one of the best at doing it in the league these days. So, um, you know, I thought that was interesting, and then you know, Kemba had a lot of really good stuff to say about Tremont, just you know that he's really impressed with him that he's a you know a huge fan and he you know like he's he really appreciates the way that Tremont has been you know going to him and, and asking him questions like it seems like Tremont's been really curious and really just you know trying to trying to mine all of Kemba's knowledge um you know as much as he can and 
You know, I, I, I think that it's, it's interesting to hear Tremont talk about it too, because he had a lot of very specific things that he is learning from Kemba. It's not just one of those things where, you know, a player says, Oh, I'm trying to learn from this guy. And you say, Oh, what are you learning? And it's like, you know, just leadership, you know, like yeah, it wasn't yeah, yeah. like that. It was, it was, I'm trying to learn how to, you know, leverage my body, uh, even though I'm a little bit smaller against bigger guys. Like I'm trying to, um, you know, figure out how to, uh, you know, how to read the, the offense the way that, that he does. I, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to do all this stuff that, that Kemba can do that he's so good at. Control pace was one of the things that he said, mm-hmm. um, he's, he's working on. And obviously Kemba is amazing at that. Um, so, you know, I thought, I thought all of those things were, were interesting. Um, and I thought it was interesting. It had, it has to be kind of gratifying for Tremont just hearing stuff like, you know, this guy that he really looked up to as a kid and this guy that he's kind of modeling his game after to be like, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of him. Like, I, I think he's going to be really successful. So, um, yeah, you know, I think Kemba definitely, a lot of these, a lot of the veterans on this team really like this rookie class. Uh, you know, they, I think they really, really like them really like them like just call them tough constantly you know they're, they're constantly talking them up and you know like <laughs> if you asked uh you know if you asked around players last you know last year they would have been cordial about robert williams they would have said like oh you know he's working hard you know or you know but it, it never sounded like this you know and uh i think that's probably telling i think that these guys are going to be you know, I think they're workers and I think they are really tough and I think they try really hard and I think that shows through for all their teammates. It's an interesting point. Um, Marcus Smart has been talking about this. Um, and I want to take a break and come back and continue this conversation because I think it's important and it's an important contrast and it, it really loops Kemba back into this conversation. Gonna do that in a second. Indochino is the world's largest made to measure menswear brand. Start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering locked on as your promo code at checkout. You are Locked On Celtics, your daily Boston Celtics podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. We were just talking about this team talking up its young players. Marcus Smart has said multiple times that he's going to give them, or this team's going to give those young guys, all the confidence that they can handle because those guys are going to be needed. So whether it's Carson, Tremont Waters, uh, Grant Williams, those guys are going to get nothing but positive vibes from these veterans, okay? That, looping Kemba back in, talking about his usage rate going down, that is in stark contrast to last year's team. And I hate to keep dragging that back up, but last year's theme throughout the entire season was Kyrie versus the young guys. This year, it's... We love the young guys. We need the young guys. Full of confidence. Pump them all up. Uh, Kemba coming out talking about, I want the ball less. I don't want the ball more. Talking himself kind of, not down a little bit, but like happily just taking a step backwards. It's just this entire season, whether it's by uh, on purpose or just coincidental, this is like... We, we just had that story about the decobifying of Jason Tatum. This is the de of the Boston Celtics. 
Yeah, you know, you said you hate to bring up last year. Listen, the Celtics don't want to talk about last year, but that doesn't mean we can't. We can, we no, can right. say whatever we want. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I – I think there, I think there's a lot to that. You know, I think the further we get away from last year, the more we start like sort of realize how much like the team in general just detested that season. You know, not necessarily the guys on the team. Like, I don't know that they hated each other. I don't think that that ever happened. I just think they hated that season so much. It left such a bad taste in their mouth. They never wanted to talk about it again. They never wanted to hear about it again. And, you know, I mean, <laughs> some of that is certainly Kyrie and, and not even Kyrie's personality, maybe just his, you know, like the way that he played and, and how that, you know, made everybody else uncomfortable or, or whatever it might be. Or maybe just the cloud that his free agency left hanging over the team at all times, like could be literally any number of things, um, you know, beyond just the, like not liking him or whatever. Um, but that being said, I, it, it feels very different around this team. Like it just practices feel different. You know, the like the pregame locker room feels a little different. It it like the the action on the court looks really different it's it it's different and and yeah i think that when you talk about the young guys it's it's going to be a a very different message you know certainly i think they'll want to i think one of the things that Kyrie wanted to do and failed at um was kind of holding guys accountable i think he wanted to to be you know i, I kind of i guess kobeish in a way in that he wanted you know to be the guy that that you know that the young guys all had to all sort of had to answer to, um, you know, and, and that that would like motivate them to get better. And that didn't work. Like, I, I think that's that that pretty clearly didn't work. So now, um, you know, this year's team seems to be, you know, trying a different tact where clearly they're still going to be trying to hold them accountable. Uh, but also, you know, they're trying to give them the confidence that they need to go out and succeed. And I mean, you go out, you, you see Carson Edwards go out there. Uh, I don't remember who it was who tweeted it out. Um, but, you know, they mentioned that he, uh, you know, has, one of the highest three-point uh, attempt rates. Oh, it was Ryan. You know, it was uh, Ryan Bernadoni, Danger Card. Oh, it was Ryan. Twitter. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, like ten point you know, one. Was there eleven point? I think it was eleven point one. Eleven point one three-point attempts per thirty-six minutes in the preseason. That was like he's just launching, and sure. they're all and they're going in. Like he's making it down. So yeah. like that is uh, that. <laughs> ask any three-point shooter that has ever shot a three in his life. Three-point shooting is all about confidence. If you think totally. you're going to make them, you're probably going to make them. And Carson is making them, and he's clearly confident. So, yeah, I mean, if, if he's going out there and he's just launching confident threes and he's making them, that's such a boost for this team. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right about that. Any shooter that's not shooting without confidence, that shot is not going to go in, even even if you've made 100 in a row. <laughs> as soon as you lose confidence in your shot for some reason, that shit just falls apart. Uh, it's uh, Honestly, that's one of the reasons why you'll hear a lot of shooters just like like – talking like just like talking themselves up like yeah like, uh, yeah like you you can't stop me you can't stop me whatever like yeah like like uh you know that if you pump yourself up you'd like i don't know if it works or not but yeah it, it's absolutely a thing yeah oh totally 100 percent um so I, I i just find the entire dynamic Super interesting. Whether they are intending to do this or not, whether they're intending to act this way or not, and I'm sure Marcus Smart isn't saying it just to be like, um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm anti Kyrie. Like he's, of course. he's not. He's been the most pro Kyrie guy on the team. But I think just by the experience, like you know that certain things weren't working last year, and now. This is this is how it has to be. Um, 
I, I definitely feel like I've said this a million times in the podcast, and this applies in general. Everything's a reaction to something. And this reaction that the Celtics are having this season is a reaction to last year's team. And so much of it is a reaction to how Kyrie either acted or the vibe, how people felt around him, whether it was Kyrie, even Kyrie's fault or not. Like sometimes a guy like that, you can't help but influence people a certain way. And that it's not the, you're trying to be a certain way. It's just how people react to you. You can't control that. I think all of that stuff was happening. So anyway, that I think that all plays into what this team is. And I thought it was super interesting to, to hear those things happening. Uh, I'll tell you what, uh, because I want to, I don't want to start this conversation about our preseason takeaways in the final roster spot and then stop it to take a, a break. So why don't we take the break now? We'll just wrap up the show afterwards. Uh, we'll, we'll do that. Uh, first, if, if those of you who don't subscribe to the Lockdown NBA podcast should do that this week because the Lockdown NBA podcast all week and going back to last Friday is doing a division by division preview of every team and it's all the local hosts so when we do the atlantic division preview i'm going to be doing the boston celtics preview so it's all the local hosts you get the local experts on their own team so it's a great way it's six podcasts starting last friday all week long this week if you want to get a full nba preview that's how you do it on the locked on nba podcast stick around more locked on celtics coming right up Follow us on our social channels at LO Celtics on Twitter and at Lockdown Celtics on Instagram. All right, let's wrap this up, Tom, with our, I guess, preseason takeaways. I can't imagine that anything's going to happen in this final Cavs game that's going to change any minds, uh, except for maybe that final roster spot. Um, so let's just wrap all of this into the this last segment uh what takeaways do you have i guess let's start because everybody wants to know i get a ton of questions on the voicemail line uh on twitter whatever uh the the big man situation uh, are you now feeling confident like i am in daniel tice as the starter yeah no 100 percent. i mean i think it's not going to always play in their favor um, to have him out there, and, and maybe there will be nights where they decide to, to throw, you know, Poirier out there for a bigger body, or maybe they decide to throw, you know, uh, Cantor out there for a little more scoring if the opposing center isn't, you know, that talented. Like, you know, I think there's going to be other things that they try, but when you look at how good, and obviously against like inferior competition, but when you look at how good that opening lineup looked defensively against Orlando and against, you know, Cleveland um, in, in these last two games. They just, especially against Orlando, they were just devastating. And, and some of that was certainly Marcus Smart in place of Kemba. Um, but Kemba hasn't looked bad defensively, um, you know, so far. He's, he's not tall, obviously, but he, he tries, you know, he gets around screens. He, he works. Um, and that, that matters. And yeah, I mean, Tice just offers all that versatility. Um, you know, he's, we haven't really seen it much in the preseason, but we see it in practice. He's worked on that three out to deep. I mean, yeah. we're talking 20. 
26 feet on that three, 27 maybe. Like he is taking deep three pointers. Yeah. And, uh, you know, from the top of the key, from that pick and pop area. And, you know, we know, you know, how much that extra space can open up. Um, for ball handlers, if he knocks down a couple of those and, and, you know, if, if the, if the defense has to respect him out that deep, it's just going to, you know, wreck havoc. So yeah, I, I think he, uh, I, I think he's probably got the starting spot and I think you can really see the familiarity that he has with Boston's system and, and, uh, you know, the last two years that, that he spent with the team. So yeah, I, I think that that's a, a pretty comfortable guess and, you know, Joel Embiid and the Sixers are gonna are gonna do a lot of damage, but that's <laughs> mm. uh, that's the price you pay for losing Al Horford. Yes, it is. Uh, and I, Aaron I, Baines. And Aaron Baines. Uh, that is, uh, yeah, I think that's just the way it's gonna go. Uh, everything you said is correct. Uh, I, 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 Thank I think you. <laughs> 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 um, every last word of it. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think the familiarity is the big thing that you're going to make up for or try to make up for the goal is to make up for some of the deficiencies of each individual player by being on the same page and and really rotating and and executing the defense with precision um you don't have to have all the best defenders in the world if you're playing great team defense and you're really trying hard, like so much of defense is effort and execution that, okay, is Tice going to get chewed up in the post? Sure. Like that's going to happen. Um, but at the same time, if you just say, well, Tice is going to get chewed up in the post. What, what does that mean? That means Al Horford's not getting off. He's, uh, Ben Simmons isn't, isn't going off. Like these other guys aren't going off. And, and when it, they're all going to be guys, well, not Horford, but they're, you know, Tobias Harris. Uh, those are all going to be guys that are going to be looking for their offense. So if you spend so much of the game just letting Embiid be what, 50%, 60% in the post, whatever it is, mm-hmm. fine. But if Philly's not running their offense, then you deal with it and you run off of those misses. And if Embiid is sitting there in the post and you run off that, those misses, well, you know what? That means Embiid is behind the play and you can get out in transition. And that's one of the trees away from the rim on the other end of the floor. So there's a yeah. give and take on either side of this thing. Um, so acknowledging the obvious, you know, Tice will get destroyed one-on-one by Embiid. There are other ways, and if if other guys are trying to move the ball, then you can work together as a team in in a manner that's precise, and and you can double Embiid when he catches and rotate well behind him and, mm-hmm. and maybe use that to kind of minimize that impact. So I yeah. I'm curious. I'm just kind of curious to see how much – that cohesiveness is going to mitigate the Tice thing or is Tice just going to get destroyed no matter what? So we'll see. Yeah. I mean, one of the things he said today was, you know, Philly will have Joel Embiid down there. When I play five, we got to do it as a team effort. Playing those guys one-on-one is tough for everybody in this league. So we'll see how it goes. Like, yeah, yeah that, that pretty much sums it up. Like he, uh, he knows and the Celtics know and they'll, 
they'll do what they can. And, and I think, you know, like we were saying, he, he spaces the floor deep to the three point line. If, if he's getting Embiid, you know, two steps beyond the three point sure. line to defend him, like that's huge. It's yep. enormous. Like that. So that they're, you know, main rim protector away from the rim. So we'll I mean, see look, how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. You look at that. I mean, just, just to take a, a quick look and I'm sure we'll talk about Philly again in the next week, but we, we're all focused on how the hell do you guard Philly at the same time? Philly is going to be interesting. Like, who guards Gordon Hayward in in that light? What yeah. is are you are you going to put Al Horford on the bench? Is Al Horford going to have to guard Gordon Hayward? Um, then then what? I mean, I think there are possibilities that maybe Philly's size, which is a strength, maybe that can work against them in some ways. Maybe the mismatch on one end turns out to be a mismatch on the other end, and it I don't want to say it cancels it out. But mitigates it. I think, mm-hmm. look, Philly's obviously the better team, and I'm not going to sit there and, and and pretend that they're not. But mm-hmm. if you're talking about having a chance to win that game, mitigating the mismatch somehow, like those are those are ways to kind of at least give yourself a chance to win that game. Anyway, uh, moving on. Uh, a lot of people have kind of hit me up on Twitter and in questions other ways about Gordon Hayward. Uh, Gordon Hayward has looked good in a couple of the preseason games. In in that Cleveland game, he just kind of was quiet. Um, and he still hasn't hit like a ton of shots. I like the quality of shots that he's taken, but he hasn't hit a ton of shots. Is there anything there that gives you any pause with Gordon Hayward? No, not really. Just because uh, a bunch of things. One, he looks great, um, you know, athletically. He's getting into the paint in way with way more force than he was last year. Um, you know, he's getting up when he gets into the paint. He's not just kind of, you know, he would kind of do this like really awful thing last year where he would drive in and just sort of like crumple when he got into the paint. Like if mm. he hit like somebody, like you could just kind of see he didn't have the strength and the explosion to to get off the floor um, once he made his move, even if he got past the guy and like. You know, if you've ever had an injury, you understand how frustrating that is to just be like kind of back, but not really back. Um, you know, this now he's exploding once he gets off the, off the once he gets down there, like he's getting up, he's he's you know using his body to to get to the rim to get to the line. Um, so that that's one reason number one why I wouldn't be worried. And number two, it's just like you know, <laughs> as as much as the Celtics have to be happy with how well they're playing. They are also um, playing like the, the best. Their best players are playing themselves off the floor. Like th- they are getting fewer minutes because, it's, like you know, you take that Cleveland game. You know, the starters didn't even play in the second half because why would they play in that second half? It was sure, already like a thirty-point game. So they're they're playing well and they're blowing out you know these teams, B teams, and um, you know, and and so like it's impossible to establish any kind of a rhythm because you're playing like fourteen minutes in the first half and zero in the second half. So. I, I mean, I am very confident in, in Hayward, um, what we've seen so far. I think he looks really good. Um, you know, we'll see how it, how it translates on this team, but I think, you know, any struggles, any struggles that he has in the beginning here, I think are probably way more about a lack of rhythm and sort of, you know, the team trying to feel itself out as opposed to any kind of lingering after effects. I, I think he's still, I, I still think he looks really good and he's, he looks like he's ready to go. Yeah, I would I would tend to agree uh, that I, I like I like the types of shots that he's getting. Uh, he didn't hit a ton of shots in Orlando, but I like the shots that he took. He also was guarding Aaron Gordon 
in Orlando. Mm-hmm. I think some of him guarding Gordon. And first of all, did a good job on Aaron Gordon. Uh, mm-hmm. That no one has really, I don't want to say no one, but I don't think it's been discussed much that he took on Aaron Gordon, who's a strong guy, good player, um, and defended him pretty well. Uh, I don't want to say that he's responsible for all the misses that Gordon had, but uh, Gordon didn't hit many shots. Neither Gordon hit many shots in that yeah. game. So uh, I, I I do think that when you're getting the right types of shots and being as aggressive as he is, eventually that those will fall. Uh, and and I do agree with the rhythm thing. Like it's when you're playing 33, 35 minutes, you have a better chance of hitting like two or three shots in a row that changes. Exactly. You know, you, you go 0 for 2, 0 for 3 from 3, and people are like, ah, oh, shit, you can't hit a thing. Then you hit three straight threes, <laughs> and suddenly, oh, wow, 50% from 3. That's amazing. So, uh, Looking at you, Max Bruce. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, other guys uh, I've talked about on, on the show already. Jalen's had a really great preseason. Really uh, good. I, I think – Tatum has had a pretty good preseason. Uh, I, I just I like where the starting unit kind of is. Um, and then I guess I guess the next thing is the bench. Like I like where the starting unit is. The bench is kind of a question mark because you know Smart and Cantor are coming off the bench and that seems okay. But at some point we're gonna have to see like real rotations and who's on the floor with them. When, when they're out there is, is like Hayward going to stick around or Kemba or somebody like that when they come in, um, how those rotations going to go. And then who comes off the bench and, and, and plays a bunch? Like Grant Williams didn't play a bunch in the first half against Cleveland, which was interesting, but Carson Edwards did. And so you, it makes you wonder, like, I think we both said that Grant would get more minutes overall this upcoming season, but, uh, maybe Carson Edwards is in, in line to get more mediates early on in the season. Yeah, I think that's possible. I think, you know, one of the things that, that we talked about, it, we, we've seen, I think Grant has struggled a little bit more defensively um, than, than we thought he was going to. Um, you know, the, just the quickness of the NBA is, is, you know, startling when you first come into the league. And, sure. um, you know, I, I think that matters. And, you know, Carson has just been, He's so, such and such a quick release, such a great shooter. Um, and defensively, he can he can kind of hold his own. He's he's really competitive. He picks you up, you know, so far like he picks you up seventy five feet from from the hoop. Like he he really works. Um, and then I think that is something that Brad Stevens would notice. And Brad talked about you know guys he's going to play guys this year who contribute to winning. And if you're hitting threes and you're not getting exposed on the other end, uh, then you're contributing to winning. So. I think, uh, you know, I think Carson's going to be in the rotation pretty much right away. Uh, I think he'll probably be a little bit behind Brad Wanamaker. You know, I think Wanamaker obviously didn't play the last game, uh, with a little, uh, he's a little banged up. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think that we can probably surmise that Carson is going to be in the rotation. I, I still think Grant will be. Um, but, you know, maybe we underestimate it a little bit. <laughs> maybe after, uh, you know, watching the NBA for like seven straight years here, we somehow <laughs> managed to underestimate the importance of three point shooting. So, yeah, <laughs> right. I think uh, <laughs> so I, I think Carson has a lot that he can bring to the table right away. And that's going to that's going to get him on the court. And I think considering the rotation and having Cantor on the floor, they're going to work through the post. Cantor is going to have the ball in the post back to the basket. And that means you're going to need the shooters on the floor. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if 
having Carson somewhere around where um, where Cantor is working, just to kind of prevent the double team and and give Cantor the space to work out of the post. I, I think there's going to be something to that. Um, so that, like you said, the three point shooting is super important. Uh, Grant will figure that out. I have utmost confidence in him. After that, it, it's just going to be, um, who knows how that rotation is going to go, but, um, we're already talking about eight, nine guys and that's kind of what you need. Eight, nine man rotation, 10, because we haven't really inserted a, a third big anywhere. You might get Robert Williams or, Poirier or somebody else, but there, there are other guys. You mentioned Wanamaker. I mean, that would be 10 right there. So that, that's an NBA rotation. Like 10 men, that's a regular season rotation. It's fine. So, uh, yep. and then obviously you get down to the 15th spot and I guess quickly, um, it's, it's curious. I don't know what they're going to do. I found Max Struess's comments and I said this in yesterday's show. After getting the upgraded contract, I thought, I thought the, his comments were very, very interesting because it wasn't celebratory at all. And yeah. it seems like something that you would celebrate. You go from a two way to a standard contract, be like, yes, this is great. I can't wait to get to work. Uh, I'm excited to contribute however I can contribute and blah, 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 blah. And he gets this contract and he's like, well, nothing's really changed. Um, we'll see what happens. And it's like, I feel like he's been told something like, yeah, we're going to do this, but it doesn't really mean anything. No, I think he's definitely been told that. I think he and Javante have, have kind of, I mean, it, it, I think it's pretty clear that those two are the guys who are, who are competing for the final roster spot. And I'm sure that when they signed Max, they told him very explicitly, like, listen, you know, we're doing this to make sure that we do right by you. Um, and you still have a chance. It, it seems like they've, they, you know, he still has a chance to make the team and they, you know, I'm sure they told him that. I'm sure they said like, you know, you're, you're still in the running here. This is just to make sure that you get your money. So it's like, yeah, it right. is good news for him. Like he's, he's paid now. <laughs> like he's, he's going to get a lot of money even if they cut him. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not guaranteed. I don't think that, I don't even know that either he or Javante has an edge at this point. They both, you know, <laughs> they both looked really good in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think, the 15th roster spot always is sort of this like, you know, like everybody makes a big deal of it because it's kind of the last transactional thing um, before, you know, you go through the season and sort of the last transactional thing bef- before like, you know, the trade deadline. Um, but it is, uh, I, I do, I do think that it's, these two guys are both talented enough that the Celtics might want to take a, a hard look at them, you know, even just for the future. Um, you know, I, I think that there is a place for a Javante Green in the league. I think there is a place for a Max Struess in the league. And, you know, y- you're choosing between two guys that are that are very different types of players, but both of whom, you know, could end up down the road, maybe not this year, but maybe in a couple of years or maybe next year or whatever, um, you know, guys who, who could end up contributing if, uh, you know, if, if just for example, if, if, if Brad Wanamaker or, you know, and Shemi Ojale aren't on the team next year, you know, maybe that opens up room for for max Struess or javante green so right. uh, you know especially if they can get him at a fair price so I, I do think that it matters a little bit just because they are going to want to take a look at these guys and, and from what i have you know from from what you can sort of gather from from looking around like i think that if anybody has an edge um one interesting thing to keep an 
eye on is the fact that, you know, Struess hasn't made as much noise sort of league wide, whereas Javante, people, people saw him in summer league and people saw him go seven for seven in his first game. And I think other teams saw him overseas and were interested in him then too. So if the Celtics wanted to keep them both somehow or like keep Struess around the G League, that might be something they could end up pulling off. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whereas I think if Javante was sent to the G League, he would end up on somebody else's team. So, We'll see what happens. The long story short, um, but I, I, I do think that both guys have a chance to contribute in the NBA at some point, and the Celtics are probably deciding, you know, which one of them they want to have a, a better shot at, at maintaining, you know, for the next year or two. Wild card scenario: neither guy makes it, and they cut both. And, <laughs> and and why that would buyout be, market? <laughs> why, why exactly that? Why that would be interesting is. Um, because they want to keep that spot open for something else, um, either a buyout guy or because they anticipate making a trade at some point during the season and they want to keep their options open for an unbalanced trade where they get back like two for one, three for two or something like that. So to me, uh, however it works out, if it's Javante, if it's Struess, whichever, um, I don't think it matters a ton because those 15th spots never really matter a ton, but uh, it would matter, I think, if neither guy makes it because that's like the signal that another move might be coming down the road. We'll see. Uh, at some point in the next week, that decision will be made. Uh, we will be here to cover it. So subscribe to the Lockdown Celtics podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Those of you who have subscribed, a five-star rating, a good written review is always much appreciated. Now, we are excited to launch the newest sports channel on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's covering the NHL. So if you are a hockey fan as well, then you have options on the Locked On Podcast Network. As you know by listening to the show, Locked On is all about featuring local experts covering the biggest news. And now we're covering the ice with daily hockey podcasts. So check out the upcoming season preview for Locked On Bruins and find your favorite NHL team on our website, LockedOnPodcast.com slash NHL. More Celtics coming up for you tomorrow. Hello, my name is Ian McLaren, and I am the host of the Locked On Boston Bruins podcast, a new daily podcast on all things Spoked B. The Boston Bruins are coming off a devastating Game 7 loss in the Stanley Cup Final at the hands of the St. Louis Blues. And the question is how they will rebound and compete in 2019-20 regular season. The odds are stacked against them to get back to where they were, and it seems unlikely that they'll be able to repeat last year's success based on the fact that so many things went right for them along the way. The Tampa Bay Lightning, the the league-leading team, was bounced in the first round of the playoffs, and Boston was able to overcome a 3-2 series deficit at the hands of the rival Toronto Maple Leafs in order to advance. And that's just to get to the second round. This season, the main roster is pretty much back and the core remains intact. There's a couple changes at depth positions, but it's basically the same roster as last year. Anything less than a top three spot in the Atlantic Division will be seen as a disappointment. The Bruins still have one of the best lines in all of hockey in Brad Marchand, Patrice Bergeron, and David Pasternak. When they're going, this team is tough to beat. David Krejci remains a key piece down the middle on the second line, while Jake DeBrusque 
Danton Heinen, Charlie Coyle, and others look to build on strong postseasons and take a next step for this team. Yaroslav Halak and Tuka Rask provide a great combo in net, and the defense is as solid as ever. So will this team be able to replicate last year's success? It's hard to say, but it doesn't look like they will indeed return to the Stanley Cup final. There's just so many good teams in the Eastern Conference. Tampa Bay, Toronto, not to mention Washington, Carolina, and others. But anything can happen in hockey, and we're in for another wild ride. Buckle up and make sure to listen to the Locked On Boston Bruins podcast, your favorite hockey team every day.